Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, again, welcome and good morning. Um, Happy Father's Day to the dads. Um, My name's Christian. We haven't yet met. I'm lead pastor here. We're starting a brand new series called God and the Underdogs. And so my question for you is when we use that word underdog, what comes to mind? What do you think of? I sent an email this week and and I included this guy. So maybe you hear underdog and you're maybe a little older and and you go and you, you think of that underdog, right? There's underdog. That's what else we got to know. Maybe you hear the idea about underdogs, and again, maybe a little older in the crowd, but your mind goes back. 1969, the Miracle Mets, the biggest underdog in Major League history, and they win the World Series despite having been just so atrocious in the, the times before. Or, or fast forward a little bit, 1980. Miracle on ice, right? 1980, U.S. Olympic hockey team takes down the mighty Russians who seemed invincible. They had beat the U.S. by like 10 goals uh, earlier, just a, a couple months earlier. So you get the miracle on ice. We'll maybe go a little forward into, into the 90s, and, and this guy comes to mind. Buster Douglas takes down Iron Mike Tyson. Who would have thought? That, I mean, this was just supposed to be one fight on, and just in the, the trail of Tyson just taking down everybody. But Buster Douglas knocks him out. Then flash forward to the year 2000, back to the Olympics. This guy, Rulon Gardner, he has his hand raised. He takes down the Russian, again the Russians. We're, we're taking down Russians here, okay? <laughs> takes down Alexander Karolin, who was undefeated, this three-time Olympic champion, seemed, again, invincible, and this guy who's just kind of, I mean, just this lovable teddy bear of a wrestler just does what seems impossible um, and beats him. And then a little more recently, we have this guy, Kurt Warner, right, the American underdog. I know we're in Chiefs Kingdom area now, but, you know, back when Missouri had another uh, NFL team, that guy was, was really good. And it was this completely unlikely story, right, that he would be, you know, just an arena league guy that then becomes the MVP of the league, leads the Rams to the championship. I grew up in Southern California. The thought of the Rams winning an NFL title seems just mind-boggling to me. But Kurt Warner did it. Or perhaps, finally, if you think underdog, you go to the greatest underdog there is, right, which is the underdog swing push, right? And it's Father's Day. That's what, that's what dads are good for. We're good for the underdog, helping kids fly dangerously high in those swings, okay? That's what, that's what dads do. There you go. Hi, thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. You go to the, the, defini- or to the dictionary, and the definition of an underdog, okay? This is it's a, a word that didn't, it's not very old, just showed up in the, the late 1800s. And here are the two ideas of an underdog. It's a a loser or predicted loser in a struggle or contest. And the second idea is a victim of injustice or persecution, right? So you you pull those together and just just in general, in short, when we think of an underdog, what we're talking about is what is an expected loser or or just a seemingly easy target. And we've, we're starting this series called God and the Underdogs, and we're looking over the next six weeks at 
the unqualified, the under-equipped, the unworthy or unseen, those who, who feel that way. And you ask, well, and, and Walter just prayed for us in terms of you know, how God uses, he chooses to work in the world. And you go, well, if I'm feeling unqualified and under-equipped and unworthy or unseen, a number of other things, how could God use me? And so we're going to start today, and we're going to look each week at uh, a different person that shows up in the Bible. God worked pretty extraordinarily through their lives. Just ask, what, what can we learn from how God works in their lives? And so today we start, and we, we looked at Moses. We're going to look at Moses. You see the title of the series is Moses, the under-equipped. You go, all right, well, I'm on board. We can talk about underdogs, and, and it's fine. We can look at some different people in the Scriptures, but... Moses, the underdog? I mean, you're talking about this guy, right? Like, like this is the underdog? Like, he, he's, I mean, that's it's Moses. It's, it's Charlton Heston parting the Red Sea, right? Like, man of God, one of the great, I mean, just from a secular standpoint, one of the great organizational military leaders in all of history. And we're going to talk about him as being an underdog? Where does that come from? Here's the thing. Underdogs are about perception, right? It's, it's the perceived loser, the perceived person that's, that's the easy target. And sometimes when you talk about perception, you're talking about the general perception, right? The, the common, just democratic perception. Everybody kind of thinks this is what we would expect, right? If you're Rulon Gardner, you may not see yourself as the underdog, but everybody else does. And so, so there's two parts to this. There's, there's what everybody else expects, but then there's also how you see yourself. So sometimes the underdog is obvious to everybody, but sometimes the underdog is just because of our own perception. And I think that's the case with Moses. And we're going to turn and learn from, from Moses and see what happens when God calls and you feel under-equipped. Okay? So we're going to dive in. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 3. I'll give you a little little background. As you're turning there, there's Bibles in front of you. Feel free to use those to read along for this passage. We'll look at a few other verses, and those will be up on the screens. But largely today, I've got a big chunk of Scripture to, to look through. I'm going to skip a, a few parts just to summarize those. Um, but we're going to look in chapters 3 and 4 in the book of Exodus. And so I uh, invite you to use uh, that Bible that's under you or in front of you to follow along. You see the page numbers there, page 48. Before we do that, okay, before we, we get there, let me just catch you up to speed. We're in the book of Exodus, and there's this guy, Moses, who was born. And he's born during a time when the Egyptian king had enslaved and was trying to eradicate the Hebrews from his land. Now, the Hebrews and the Egyptians had lived in peace for, for hundreds of years, I mean, for a long time. God had worked incredibly, miraculously through Joseph, and, and so there was this good relationship going on between them. But a new king shows up. He forgets all that had happened in the past. And so now this new king says, look, there's a lot of these Hebrew folks, and they are a threat. And so he decides to take matters into his own hands. He enslaves them, begins to kill uh, the, the newborn Hebrew babies. And, um, but Moses is saved. And he ends up in this incredible turn of events. He ends up being raised in the king's household. Okay? So God does this, this really cool thing, and Moses is raised as royalty. And then as a grown man, he begins to understand a little bit about his heritage, um, and he tries to defend a Hebrew 
who's in a conflict with an Egyptian. And, and in the midst of kind of getting involved in this fight, he ends up killing the Egyptian. And eventually he realizes, I'm going to be found out. This isn't going to end well. And he flees. Okay, leaves behind everything, flees, goes out in the wilderness, finds himself in a place called Midian, where he comes across a family, a bunch of sisters, ends up being brought back into to visit and meet the family, meets dad, Jethro, ends up marrying one of these sisters and just decides, hey, I'm going to live out my days, be a shepherd, take care of some sheep, leave all that stuff behind. And that's where we find him. Until one day when he sees a bush that's on fire, right? He's just, he's just following the sheep around, doing the shepherd thing. He looks at it and he goes, hey, there's a, a bush on fire. Not unusual. I mean, bushes catch on fire for different reasons. But, but the difference is this one's not burning. I mean, it's burning, but it's not. It's not being consumed. Like, it's still there. And, you know, there's no fire extinguisher. Just go put it out. He, I mean, and, and even water is probably somewhat scarce. So it's just, he's just looking at this thing. Well, that's unusual, okay? Just notice that. He's not going, oh, yeah, of course, burning bushes that don't, aren't consumed. That just happens all the time. No, he comes across that. He goes, this is unusual. I should go check it out. And so he does. And when he does, he realizes, oh, the reason this is going on is because God is revealing himself in a very unusual way. And what Moses is about to discover is that he's been chosen by God for a monumental task, okay? So we're going to pick up there, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. God begins to speak. It says, Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so notice something real quick. God starts out, he says, hey, Moses, I know what's going on here in Egypt, and I'm going to do something about it. And at that point, if you're Moses, you're going, hey, that's great. I mean, I've, I've not been around, but that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, you should do that. And then God says, and so because I'm going to do it, I'm sending you. Which if you think about it, you go, whoa, 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 bait and switch, right? Like, no, God, you said you were going to do this, but now you're saying you're sending me. What happened to you doing this? I have a friend who said famously that when God works, his people get blisters. That's not how we tend to want it to happen, though. This is where Moses finds himself considering this task, considering this calling. And so how does he respond? Well, he objects. Okay, that's, that's in a nutshell, that's what happens. Let's see how he objects to this calling. Verse 11, but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answers. He answers, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Moses asked God, so it's objection two. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. (laughs) 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Now, God then instructs Moses, says, okay, go, and, and here's how you're going to go talk to the, the elders of Israel, and gives them, he gives him some more instruction. I want to skip down then, verse 10, I'm sorry, we already, we already did that. Um, oh, he, he goes on, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to keep on rolling, okay? Um, no, no, I'm going to skip, I'm sorry, stick with me, stick with me. Let's stick, to, let's go to verse 4, okay, I mean chapter 4, okay, chapter 4, God gives him some instructions, chapter 4. Moses answers again, okay? God's given him some more instruction. Moses got another objection. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me? But say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Okay, so third objection. Once again, God responds to his objection. God says, I'm, I'm going to do some things here. He goes on. He's going to give us, him some more instruction on the things that God will do in response to this question. Now skip down, last little section we're going to look at. Verse 10, Moses replied to the Lord, okay, objection four. Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. And the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now Go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Last objection. P Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he's on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help you both, and him, both you and him to speak, and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Okay, so again, God calls Moses, and here's Moses. Five different objections. First one, he says, God, who am I? Who am I? Do you, do you know who you're talking to? I'm the guy that botched the whole thing. I was the prince of Egypt. I botched the whole thing. I'm out here. I'm just living as a shepherd. I, I'm, I am no leader. Who am I? And God responds. He says, I'll certainly be with you. Second objection. Well, okay, God, but what should I even tell them? They're going to have all these questions. Right, who, who is it that I'm speaking on behalf of? And God says, I, I am has sent me to you. He says, I'm the ultimate authority. Moses then objects. He says, well, but what if they don't believe? Right? Well, what if they don't believe? God says, I'll give them signs. He says, I'm unlimited in power. You're concerned about the power here. I'm unlimited in my power. 
The fourth objection, and, and these last two both start with please, Lord. Moses is, is getting more and more desperate. He says, please, Lord, what about my sluggish tongue? Literally, my heavy tongue. It doesn't, there's those people that when they start speaking, it just, everything flies out and they just, whether I even understand what they're saying, they seem like they know what they're saying because they talk so fast, right? He says, no, my tongue's slow. It's, it's heavy. I'm not eloquent. And God, once again, he says, I'll help you. He, he's saying, I'm with you still. And I'm still with you. That, that hasn't changed. I'm going to be with you. And then, last objection, please, Lord. How about someone else? Really, Moses, at this point, he, he's, been, he's been called out. And at this point, the true motivation has to come out. And he goes, okay, God, you got me. The reality is, I don't want to. I know what you're saying. I understand everything you're, you're planning. I just don't want to. And it's at this point that we're told that God's anger burns against Moses. Now, God is, is patient. The, the literal words here are that he is long-nosed. Okay? I mean, when you talk about God's patience, he is long-nosed. And here where his anger happens, it means he's, he's short-nosed. Like at some point, the fuse of his anger, it, it, it actually runs out. Now, he's not short-tempered. He's not doing something. He's not violating what's good and right. At this point, he's saying, okay, Moses, you've, I've answered your questions. I've dealt with you very patiently. Now, you, you're, you've tried my patience here because you, you're now admitting what was really going on here. You said you wanted to, that you're, you're treating me, Lord, you're calling me Lord, but now when it gets down to it, you intend not to obey. And yet, what is the Lord's response? He says, I'll send your brother with you. He's coming around. I'm going to give you a companion, and he's going to help you. And, and, and more than that, I'm going to help you. God, God says here, he, even in the midst of all this, he says, look, you got to understand this objection, fine. You don't want to go, but you need to know I am both great and gracious. I'm going to take care of you. And so I, see all of this, and, and I want us to, to notice a couple things. One, when Moses gives these objections, notice that God doesn't say, uh, Moses, you, oh, Moses, gosh, I, I'm so sorry. You, you don't feel equipped. Oh, man, you, you're, you're worried. I see you're worried. Oh, gosh, oh, poor Moses. Oh, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, that speech impediment thing, I know. That's, that's hard, isn't it? God at no point says, Moses, you're just wrong. At no point does he say, why would you even ask that question? He doesn't, he doesn't accuse Moses of having a wrong read on this whole thing. Moses has read the situation properly. He knows. I mean, he's, he's looked into this thing and he's seen the situation. He knows what's going to come. He knows what's needed for the task. Moses simply thinks he's not equipped. And at no point does God go, go, no, 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 really, no, you've, you've got it, Moses. You're, you're, you're it, man. You're the bee's knees. You're so wrong, like, that, that you've, you've completely missed this. That's not what he says. Now, he also doesn't respond to Moses, again, saying, how dare you? How dare you ask me these questions? 
How dare you even question anything I've told you? So I want you to think about and and recognize God responding to Moses in this situation, in this time, this incredible task. The first thing I want us to, to recognize is when God calls, he will answer your questions. It's okay to have questions when he calls. And he will answer your questions. He'll do that. We see him doing it again and again all through the scriptures. He answers questions. Your questions are okay. Your questions are not unwelcome. Sometimes people get that impression of of Christianity. Well, if I'm going to follow here, I'm supposed to just throw my brain out the window, adopt a few key ideas, some of them culturally Un, you know, unpopular, so, but, but I'm not supposed to ask any questions about that. I'm supposed to just, just do what everybody tells me to do and stop thinking and just live by faith, which means basically be stupid um, in the name of religion. Right? Sometimes that's people's impression. And so if you ask a question, you're wrong. You're, 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 up, you know, you're, you're tipping over the apple cart here. You're going to make a mess of something. Stop asking questions. This is not what we see in the Scriptures. It's not how we see God respond. He will answer your questions, but he answers your questions with his qualifications. What he's concerned with you and I knowing when we bring our questions to him, sometimes he will tell us something about ourselves, but the most important thing you can know as you wrestle with your questions is who he is what he's all about. And so he's not going to pander to you. He's not going to come to you and you go, oh, I'm just, I just don't have what it takes. He's not going to go, no, no, really. You're awesome. People like you. He's going to go, okay, maybe. Maybe you don't, but I do. He answers our questions with his qualifications. We see this a number of times, but, but again, aside from Moses, maybe most famously in the life of Job. Job deals with all kinds of stuff, and he has all kinds of questions. And at some point, as he brings those, and he's, he's just like wrestling with God, and he's, he's bringing some really difficult things to God, and at some point, and God, again, is very patient in all of this, but at some point, God responds to him. And he says, Job, Job 38.4, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He goes on a little later. He says, would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? How often is that the the response that we have to God? God, you need to justify yourself to me because I'm the arbiter of all that is good and right. Really, I saw it on a YouTube video. I know what's right. God, you should answer for that. God says, would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Are you responsible for all that God has done and does? Can you thunder with a voice like his? See, God responds to our questions. But, but if we're going to wrestle with those questions, be prepared for him to say, I'll give you the answers that I want you to have. And the most important answers I want you to have are my qualifications, who I am, and what I'm all about. And so, you know, the, the really the key question, or the, the key, uh, yeah, objection and question of Moses here is right there, the very first one. 
And it's the one I think is the most personal for all of us as we deal with, with stuff, with things that we are called to, what we're responsible to. It's that question, who am I? And it's such a hard question because there's a, a certain kind of humility, right, in that question. It's good and right for us to, to actually go, Yo, you know, I don't, I'm not like all that. And I get it. I, I don't have it all together. Who am I? But essentially what God, when we bring that question, who am I? God responds with his own question. And he says, who am I? Who are you? You're wondering about you. Stop looking at your navel and look at me. Your questions are answered with my qualifications. So you, you need to see the calling. See what, I've, what I'm asking you to do. See your, your response in obedience in light of who God is. Now, I've made an assumption to this point. I've been using this word, calling. So I made the assumption that we're on the same page with what God calls means. And so what is calling? Now, I'm not going to answer that all together. It's a big answer. It, the scriptures talk about calling in a lot of ways. And over the course of this series, we're going to get a lot of glimpses of what it looks like for God to call people. It's not always the same. And, and especially Moses' experience is exceptional, okay? Don't leave here expecting to see one of the trees on fire outside, okay? Like that's, and God like going to give you some instruction for the day. I, that's, I mean, I'm not saying he can't do it. He might, but I would not just like put it in your calendar, okay? That's probably not what's going to take place. This is an exceptional situation. But God interacting with Moses here is still universally applicable. Once again, we can ask questions. But at some point... When the Lord has given us an assignment, the only proper response is trust and obey. I mean, again, God's not pandering to Moses, but at some point he just goes, look, I'll answer your questions, I'll deal with you, but, but if all you're doing is trying to keep me at bay so that you don't have to obey, that doesn't work. This is my experience. Well, it's Father's Day, so I'll tell some, some father story, right? This was my experience um, that was really helpful when I realized as a, as a dad that there was a difference when my kids asked questions. I wanted them to ask questions. I want them to think. I want them to, to go, why are we doing that? There's a point where they do that all the time, and you want them to just, please stop doing that, please. But, but generally, what I want is for my kids to ask questions. But what you begin to realize is there's a difference sometimes for a kid asking a question that he legitimately or she legitimately wants an answer to and a question that is just meant to keep you stalled out long enough that maybe you'll forget what you were talking about or just decide it doesn't matter anymore and move on. Okay, Those are two different kinds of questions. And so it just became really normal for me to go, okay, look, you can ask the question. I need you to obey first. I need to hear, yes, sir, first. And then you can say, May I ask a question? Absolutely. I, I, but I need to know that you're, we're on the same page as far as there's something that I've told you to do, and, and you need to respond to that. And once we, we're there, once that's clear, then sure, if you think, I, I mean, because here's the thing. I might have told you to go do something, and you're like, that makes absolutely no sense. You don't know what's going on. That's a, a very real possibility. But 
But if you're just stalling out, if, you're, if your angle of approach is, I'm trying to disobey or I'm trying to, to stall, that won't fly. Because there are other situations in life where I need you to be well, willing to, to do what I say when I say it. If I'm yelling at you, get out of the street, I don't need you to go, oh yeah, can I ask a question about that first? No, you can't. Just get out of the street, right? Like there's circumstances where that the questioning doesn't work. So in the same way, there's a point with the Lord. We can ask questions, but, but he calls us to trust and obey. And so, so when God calls, he answers our questions with his qualifications. But when God calls, you answer, you and I answer by submitting our capacity to his capability. You have a capacity, but what God calls us to do is to take our capacity and submit it to what He is capable of. This is what ultimately Moses does. You continue reading chapter 4. He goes from there. Finally, he, he relents and he obeys and he goes back to his father-in-law. He says, i got to take a trip. And so he does. And there begins this whole further story of the Exodus. But it's the same thing. At some point, Job, he gets his questions answered. God addresses him. And he, he helps Job understand, hey, look, there's a lot going on here that you don't quite get. And Job responds, finally. He says, you asked, Job 42.3, you asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. At some point, Job realizes and he relents. And what he finds, what he discovers on the other side of that, when he, he submits his own understanding and his own capabilities to God, is that God blesses him in ways he wouldn't even, couldn't even imagine. Now, what we're talking about here is not just material blessing. We see that in, in Job's life. What we're talking about is as we submit ourselves, as we lean on him, as we take what he has given us and we, we utilize that in response to what he has said is good and right, in light of who he is and what he's capable of, his qualifications, that's where we find real life. That's where we find the goodness of God. And, and so as we're talking Moses and we're looking at Job, I want to take you also to the Apostle Paul. Here's a man who, by, by most standards, is, com is way over-equipped. Okay? So when you talk about a, somebody feeling under-equipped, you go, no, this guy's brilliant. He, he's been trained. He knows all kinds of stuff. And then, but, but he also hates Christianity. He hates this idea that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he, he's a part of this effort to snuff it out until he meets Jesus in this dramatic way, very, in some ways very similar to Moses. And he comes to realize, oh wait, Jesus is real, he's alive. The gospel, this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, it's real. And God completely transforms his life. I want you to hear then Paul discuss that or, or look back on that. 1 Corinthians 15, one of the letters he writes to the churches he says, I am the least of the apostles, the least of these messengers that God has raised up in this calling to help see the church get started. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
My qualifications, they don't stack up because of that. I've got this blight on my life. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What Paul is saying here, again, you don't have to be an apostle, be a leader of God's people out of Egypt. What he's simply saying is, look, my feelings about this situation, even the reality of the situation, that all has to be submitted to who God is. And his capacity, the overarching qualification that God gives, it's the same one that he gives to Moses there when he just says, I don't want to. The qualification is God saying, yeah, but here's the deal. I'm great and I'm gracious. And so you may be what you are, but what you need to know is who I am. And so you submit your capacity to his capability. And you realize he's, what he calls you to, he will help you to do, right? He, Paul says, I worked harder than anybody, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. You say, well, how do, how do I get that? Well, one, you trust Jesus. You, you trust that, indeed, his life was a response to your failure. It's a response to, the, 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 again, the reality. We don't stack up. Well, we can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves right with God. We violated a holy and righteous God by our, our attitudes and our actions, and, and we all deserve to be separated from him for eternity. But Jesus has come and lived the life we should have lived and then died the death we deserved so that we could be raised and made new. Jesus does. He, he looks at all of our objections and says, yep, you're right, but who you are can be submitted to who I am, and you can be made new. And then once you've been made new, you just walk in that newness by day by day, moment by moment, saying, God, I, I want to obey you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk in your ways, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, where I see that I need to correct and go a different way, okay, I'm going to go that way. God, will you help me? Will you show me? Yeah, I will. You give me your Bible? Yeah, okay, let's read that. Let's figure out. What does this look like to walk with you? Oh, I'm not quite sure what this all means. Okay, great. I've given you my people. Walk with them as well. Together, you guys do this and figure this out, and you help each other. You submit your capacity to his capability. My own experience when it comes to calling, I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes they're good questions, but I'm also prone to overthink. And when I came to faith late in my teen years, became prone to over-spiritualize. And the result of that was that often I can find myself just sort of stuck. God, I want to do the right thing. I'm not sure what to do next. God, show me. Help me. Oh, this person, they did something really, really great. Oh, uh, oh maybe I should do that. Oh, but wait. Then somebody else did this thing over here. And, and, and I'd be, I'm trying to pull all the data and do all the thinking and processing. And 
And at some point, again, that's, that's not faith. That's just me looking at my own capability. But what I've found over the years is the Lord has led me, especially through my commitments. I've never seen a burning bush. There's some, a, a few key times that I could say, you know what, I really think that was especially the voice of God, but it wasn't audible. Nobody else could have heard it. And, and it's something that I'd still have to go, okay, I think given a, a few other factors, I believe that's what was happening there. I have friends, I know others who would say, you know, again, this isn't the all the time thing, but I think I hear God pretty regularly. How God does all of that, I don't know. I know he speaks, I know he leads, but his calling can show up in different ways. But by and large, what I think is true, as it's been true in my own life, is that God leads through our pretty ordinary commitments. When I was 16 years old, I I said, God, take my life, make me new. I became a Christian. That's the prime commitment. My first and foremost commitment is to love Jesus and to be a part of seeking his kingdom. Then when I was 23 years old, I became the husband to Sarah. That was a commitment. It meant that my life from then on was going to change and my decisions were going to be different as a result of being her husband. And then when I was 26 years old, my first child was born. And for the next however many, six years, more of them came. And, and as now the father of Elena and Cade and Abram and Claire, my commitments are different. And what I've seen in the midst of that, and, and somewhere along the way too, I became a pastor. But, but all of those things, the, the way the Lord has brought me, the way the Lord brought me here, in large part is trying to think through, God, what do I already know you've called me to, and how do I be faithful to those things? How do I obey you in the things that I know you've given me to do? So fathers, I, I want to speak specifically to you. You know, there's a lot of reinforcement culturally to see yourself as the underdog, to see yourself as the one who's expected to lose the easy target who is under-equipped to carry out what God has put on your plate. You may think that on your own, but even if you don't, there's messages that just kind of pelt you that are trying to get you to to think that. And so I, I say to you, again, whether you're feeling like, man, who am I? Do you know, like, my own background? you know what my father was like? Do you know what, what I mean, do you, do you see the difficulties, the challenges? God, do, do you have the right guy? And God says, just look at me. I, I know who you are. But he says, know who I am. And trust me, submit your capacity to my capability, and let's do this thing. And so I would say to all of you, when God calls and you're wondering, who am I? Again, remember who he is. And when God calls and you're thinking that you don't have enough equipment to get the job done, do the next right thing in the power that Jesus provides. Let's pray. Father, I do indeed thank you that where, you, where we fall short, You are more than sufficient. Please teach us to follow you 
in the reality of, of all of life, to not try to create some false world, but to submit ourselves to your truth, to your promises, and to your power, and walk closely with you. I ask you for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.